It's Monday, May 11th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser, and from Motley Fool Stock Advisor Canada, Taylor Muckerman. Happy Monday, gents. Hey, hey. To you as well. It's just one of those beautiful days where. We're happy to be here. We're happy to be here. I was going to say it would be nice to have class outside. Yeah, fair today. enough, yeah. Or for that matter, a window. It have we nice done it? <laughs> it would be nice. I know it might affect the acoustics. It'd be nice to have a window. Have we, we done actually, an outdoor foolery before? I was going to say we should set up a. We, we should have. We should submit a request to have like a new studio built so that we could do this like on the streets of Alexandria. You know, like what do they do that on today? Uh, and and right? you know what? I think studios like that. I think they're pretty cheap. So yeah, yeah I'm, sure. I'm, sure, I'm sure our finance uh, department will give that the green light. It's, come on, it's, it's, an, it's a long term <laughs> investment. We're not going anywhere. Uh, we're gonna dip into the full mailbag. We've got a big deal in the energy industry, but let's start with earnings from Wayfair, the online furniture and home goods company that went public. Last fall, and I think if there's one, if there's one word for the first quarter results, Jason, it is growth, which, as we know, can be a double-edged sword. Mm-hmm. Um, but customers are, new customers are up, uh, revenue up by by every basic metric. This was one of those better than expected type of quarters. But what in the world is going on with this stock? Because they reported before the market opened, the stock was up. 12, 13% pre market, and then it just started to drop over time. And I'm wondering I mean, I know this is a company you like and a company you're interested in. Did people just get overly enthusiastic at the growth prospects, or, or was something said on the conference call? Well, so I, I think this is a good example of you, you really want to be aware of like those pre market and, and aftermarket. Uh, Trading uh, moves because a lot of times they can be very volatile. They can be small batches that are that are being bought and sold. And, we and saw can, that with Amazon's yeah, most recent quarter. They report after market, and then that one was a bit, every fifteen minutes. It was positive, negative, then positive again. It was for a company that big, that's kind of surprising to me. I mean, I you know, yeah, I think Wayfair when looking through the quarter here, they're they're doing a lot of things. Very well. I mean, I can tell you, man, if they're doing anything one, if they're doing one thing really well, they have figured out the jingle, man. My daughters walk around singing that commercial jingle like all day and all night. <laughs> We're talking about the next stock they want to buy, and they're like, "What is Wayfair a publicly traded company?" Yeah, yeah, it's public. Man, we should buy Wayfair, and I'm like, well, "Why?" And they're like, "Well, it's just the greatest jingle on TV." <laughs> so you know, it's it's educating them. That business is a bit more than a jingle, but hey, hats off to you guys for you know definitely capturing some mind share there of your future, uh, you know, your future customers, but. Um, I mean, there are I, I, there are a lot of good things to take away from this quarter. I mean, like you said, uh, on on virtually every metric, things are going well. They're bringing in new customers. The, the repeat business is up. Uh, gross margin, I was interested to see, was up actually to twenty four point two percent versus twenty three point four percent a year ago, and that's a metric by which we will you know always gauge how well this company is doing because it can indicate uh, not only growth in um, you know, customers, but also that that they're able to maintain some pricing. Um, so, you know, the the bigger this business grows, the more important it's going to be for them to really be able to gin up that repeat business. Because as as a young business, they're having to fork over a lot of money to acquire those new customers, right? Uh, you know, there's a lot of marketing spend that comes with that. There's just a lot of creating awareness that they're going to have to continue to do for some time to come. Now, as time goes on, and they're able to sort of grow that loyal customer base, in theory, those acquisition costs should start to come down over time, and we should see that 
uh, favoring out on the the bottom line, the operating margin, the net margin for this company, because right now it is still unprofitable. Uh, they're sort of in that in that hyper growth mode in, in a very difficult market. I would add. I mean, you know, shipping couches around the country isn't necessarily uh, <laughs> cost effective for most organizations, but these guys do a great job of it because they partner up with this huge supply chain all over the country, and they don't really keep any inventory on the balance sheet. So, um, you know, they very healthy balance sheet, three hundred sixty million. Dollars. They guided up for this current quarter rather significantly sales wise, which I think is very encouraging. And and so then you just kind of look at this and say, okay, well, what? How is the market looking looking at this stock? If it's not profitable, you know, we can't judge it on a price to earnings basis. So let's look at it from a number of different ways. I mean, if you look at it from a price to sales perspective, it trades at about one point seven five times versus Amazon, which is at about two point two times. But if you look at Bed Bath and Beyond, Bed Bath and Beyond is trading at about one time sales. Um, what I like to do is looking at these businesses and really just sort of the the juxtaposition between something like Wayfair and something like Bed Bath and Beyond is to look at the price per employee or sales per employee rather. I'm sorry. And, and if you look at that, uh, sales per employee for Wayfair are around six hundred twenty three thousand dollars versus Bed Bath and Beyond, which uh, is is about two hundred eight thousand dollars. So you see, there's a very big discrepancy there, and that's why you got to love these internet e commerce. Businesses because they are so capitalized, so efficient. Um, it's just going to take a while for them to really to get there. And you know, I keep on thinking this stock is due to get whacked at some point because they're going to miss or something's going to happen, and the market's not going to feel quite so optimistic about its future. But it is a business that I like a lot, founder-led. Uh, I think price really matters with this one, so I keep it on my watch list. And and yeah, the volatility of t- of today, I would get used to it because I think we'll see that for some time to come. Well, for an unprofitable e-commerce company, you know, the, the, never seen one of those before. The, the stocks, <laughs> I, I think, I mean, the stock's doing fine. Oh I mean, yeah, yeah, the I mean, stock is doing very we, well. We've seen other larger e-commerce companies put up quarters not nearly this good, um, or sort of in line with with um, with what Wayfair is doing, and get whacked. 10-20%. Yeah, so. and, I, and I feel like the stock is doing very well, which leads me to believe that at some point, like the market is giving it a lot of credit. And I think it deserves that to an extent. I mean, this is sort of like a little mini Amazon story to a degree. Um, and, and the founders of the business are hell bent on doing this their way, and they're not going to cater to those sort of Wall Street expectations. But, you know, that's a double-edged sword there. And so, I just feel like there's going to be a point in time where the market's going to punish this this stock for maybe failing to live up to expectations. And at that point, you know, unless something fundamentally has changed with the business, then I think you're looking at maybe, you know, an interesting, you know, possible entry point there. We said earlier in the year that one of the storylines that we're going to be watching here at the Motley Fool is the energy industry and specifically mergers and acquisitions, and that is certainly on the docket today. Taylor Noble Energy is buying Rosetta Resources. Mm-hmm. The deal is worth three point seven billion. Two point one billion of that is stock. The rest is debt. And if you're a shareholder of Rosetta Resources, congratulations! You're having a heck of a Got day. Got paid today. Stock, you're getting paid. <laughs> stock up about twenty five percent. Noble Energy shares down around seven percent. I'm wondering first and foremost, is that because I, I look at that and I think that's people looking at this saying Noble Energy paid too much. Mm-hmm. Is that the right read on this? It could be, although when you look at this deal versus deals over the past several years, it's actually a lower premium than the average 
uh, that, that we've seen. Maybe what I'm wondering here in, in the stock being sold off is that um, traditionally Noble has been much more weighted towards um, gas, natural gas. It, its reserves at the end of 2014 were th- only 31% liquid uh, versus Rosetta's uh, resources, which was 61% liquid. So maybe investors had bought into this company thinking that they were getting a more natural gas play, and now it's pivoting towards oil. Um, maybe maybe that's why some of these investors are, are selling off, because it, it's not what they had expected when they bought the company. Um, but if you're an investor looking for potential growth and diversification, this deal is, on paper, it looks pretty positive, um, especially if you believe that oil prices are going to rise. Um, maybe what we've seen over the past couple of weeks with oil prices slowly climbing, uh, in some cases quickly climbing on a percentage basis, um, perhaps companies are starting to think, hey, maybe we're not going to see these prices at this low level for very much longer, let's go ahead and put a deal together. This is the largest um, acquisition of a U.S. producer to date of, for this year, and um, in all likelihood, you'll probably see a few more of these. I was just going to say, you said earlier in the year, you look at some of these uh, producers, mm-hmm. and in this case, in the case of Rosetta uh, Resources, <laughs> sometimes you say Rosetta Stone, <laughs> in the case of myself. Rosetta Resources, um, uh, a shale oil producer, mm-hmm. you called this out at the beginning of the year. If you've got a weak balance sheet, or certainly weaker yeah. than others, then guess what? You're you're on somebody's shopping list. Most definitely. And um, what, what Rosetta Resources has is some land in the t- two of the most popular basins in the US. And so if you're going to get into oil and you're going to take on a company that has some debt, you might as well go with the with the areas that have proven themselves over the last 5 to 10 years and that's the Permian Basin which appears to have a very bright future and the Eagle Ford which has been the best performing um, oil basin for quite a few years now and um, as I mentioned, Noble was mostly gas, and so they were in the Marcellus pretty heavily. They were in the Denver Ulesburg in Colorado, and uh, they have some international properties. But this is their entry point into Texas, and it really solidifies the oil portion of their portfolio. Uh, last thing before we move on to the mailbag. Noble Energy, an established company, mm-hmm. a big company, but at $18 billion, th- this is nowhere near... When we talk about the behemoths, the Chevrons, yeah. ExxonMobil, that sort of thing, tell me if I'm reading this wrong, but I look at that and say, boy, if an $18 billion company is pulling this kind of trigger mm-hmm. in a deal worth almost $4 billion, yeah. then we're going to see probably a lot more of these. You would imagine, and, and Noble is the kind of company that you might see uh, one of the behemoths, as you said, try to snap up, or maybe something even bigger than them. Some really big names have been tossed around lately. Um, EOG Resources is one of the biggest that I've seen people think could be a takeover target. Me personally, I like that as a standalone company, but it would be an excellent addition to any company that's willing to to pony up the cash, because that is a company that will demand a very high premium. Radio at Fool.com is our email address. You can drop us a question. Got one from Mason Roberts in Colorado. While surfing the exchanges, I keep seeing holding companies, especially ones that hold real estate. Are these good investments? What kind of risks are involved? Also, Steve Broido, if you're ever in Denver, I'd love to treat you to our finest Olive Garden. <laughs> we'll make sure Steve gets that message. That's worth a trip. That is absolutely worth a trip. Uh, Jason, I'll just start with you. I'm assuming the types of things Mason is running across are, are REITs, real, uh, real Estate Investment Trusts. Yeah, I would assume. And so, I mean, I was looking at this from a couple of different angles. And if it's if it's a real estate investment trust that you're seeing, um, they certainly can be very good investments. I mean, they are 
typically run by management teams with a lot of experience in in real estate. Typically, it's commercial real estate, and um, you know they can be. Uh, the the real estate investment investment trusts get favorable tax advantage for distributing uh, their their earnings uh, to or most of their earnings to, to shareholders, and so you typically see uh, bigger dividend yields with real estate investment trusts, like somewhere to the tune of eight to ten percent. They yeah. they can be they can be. Now I, I think that with real estate investment trusts. That that's a lot of that is dependent on the management team, and so I'd be very, I would just be very aware that there are a lot of choices out there, and you'd like to look for a management team that's been in there for a while and has a history of, of uh, you know, consistently returning that that money to shareholders and doing a good job managing that real estate portfolio. I, I think on the flip side, you know, if you see some companies or some businesses uh, holding companies that maybe weren't necessarily intended to be. Uh, real estate based type investments, and, and the one that comes to mind here is Sears Holding. Uh, you know, Sears for the longest time has been a retail play, right? I mean, that's just you know, your neighborhood had a local Sears store, and you would go there to get whatever. Um, times have changed, and, and certainly Sears has become less and less relevant as a retailer um, to us. And you know, the 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 one glaring asset that they possessed on their balance sheet was a lot of real estate. Uh, so then you saw. Investors looking at Sears Holdings as instead of a retail play, maybe a way to um, you know find a value style investment there, thinking that maybe the real estate that was on the balance sheet wasn't really being valued uh, to to its fullest. And so, you know, I, I don't know that Sears has worked out a whole very well for <laughs> for a whole heck of a lot of people based on that. And, and again, you're kind of you're looking at a, at a different story there. I don't know that I'd invest in it as a retailer, but because it you know, has real estate on the balance sheet. That doesn't necessarily make it a good investment. I mean, that real estate fluctuates in value as well, and I'm not sure that's how they were uh, running that business from the first in the first place. So, a number of different ways to look at it there. But I, I think with real estate, you just you want to make sure you have a seasoned management team in there that that knows what they're doing because real estate is one of those things that can fluctuate. And you, with those REITs, you really want a transparent REIT. You want to know exactly which properties they're holding. Possibly who their tenants are if they're a big if they're a big uh, corporate uh, landlord essentially and so that's one thing that I would I would like to highlight you don't want to get caught with a REIT that has properties in, in bad geographic locations that have high turnover with uh, tenants and things like that you want some some uh, consistency there yeah got an email from Jeff Bayer listener number seven hundred seventy seven. And Jeff writes simply, looks like driverless trucks are here. And he included the link (laughs) to a story, the headline of which is, Freightliner unveils first autonomous semi-truck licensed to drive itself on highways. Let me read that again. Key Terminator music. (laughs) Freightliner unveils first autonomous uh, semi-truck licensed to drive itself on highways. That's scary, I, I, and it's a a detailed story about uh, Taylor. You were saying this is a Chrysler. Yeah, I think I think it's this is a, part of the Chrysler corporate or Fiat. At least Chrysler. that's what I saw when I was uh, taking my trip into work this morning. So uh, Fiat Chrysler, a publicly traded company. So yeah, if if they're the ones who own Freightliner, then then they're the ones <laughs> who either will benefit from this or will ultimately be responsible for these trucks destroying all of us. Uh, I don't know. You, I sent this along to you, Jason. What went through your mind? I'll tell you what, and this, this is a side of my age, what went through my mind was not the Terminator music. It was the Stephen King novel, 
maximum overdrive, <laughs> which oh yeah, uh, where the machines take over. Yeah. And I believe, if I have this correctly, Stephen King also directed the movie. It was the first. A bunch of his films had been adapted for the screen, and some of them worked out. So, you know, you get a good director and a yeah. good cast, you get uh, The Shining, <laughs> and then uh, you get uh, not such a great director and cast, and you get you know. Cujo. Pet Cemetery didn't do it for me either. <laughs> Pet Cemetery had its, you know, it, 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 it had its, its good moments, but what are we to take away from this other than if this does work out in all seriousness, if you're in the trucking business, then this is something you're probably looking at very carefully. Potentially. Now, I, I will say, like, the thing that stood out to me from the story, and I'll go ahead and just read a brief snippet from it, it says, quote, Freightliner's inspiration truck is able to drive itself completely autonomously. That sounds good, right? Yeah. On well-maintained highways, in daylight, and in good weather, a licensed human driver is required to be behind the wheel, and the human will need to take over in some highway situations whenever the truck is driving on surface streets. So there are a lot of caveats here, and I, this is, you know, I'm sure it's just the first step in, 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 you know, what is going to be a very long journey towards uh, more automation there. But I, I think that so I guess vehicle automation. Uh, or, or autonomy, I think, is going to be. I think that's going to be something that maybe future generations buy into a little bit more, um, a little bit more enthusiastically than maybe we would because we didn't grow up with it. You know, if you're just like born into sort of self-driving car generation, then it's a little bit easier to accept it because you don't know anything else. Um, for for people like me, I mean, I, I think the technology is really cool, but. Man, I'd be super skeptical if I was like driving on the interstate and saw one of these big Mac trucks next to me with no one behind the wheel and some guy back there playing tiddlywinks or something, you know? <laughs> well, they think they referenced playing Angry Birds in the article. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that worries me is like, why start with semi trucks? Yeah. Why mm-hmm. Why not start with a car? How about a, how about a Volkswagen <laughs> Golf? Yeah. You know? How about just a or Honda smaller? Civic? Can or we, smaller? Can yeah, we go use many smart cars? Like one of those smaller UPS yeah. trucks or <laughs> FedEx or something. Gotta be like, like a, Yugo, a Yugo out there on the road somewhere, right? Just kind of. You know. So I guess there's only two of them at the moment, but uh, yeah, you gamble your money away in a casino and your life away on the roads of Nevada. <laughs> well, there's a delightful <laughs> note. You know what? We're not going to end on that note. Um, here's the note we're going to end on, because last Thursday we had our annual meeting here at The Motley Fool. Um, and if you listened last week, you know that we had uh, fools coming in from around the globe, from Germany, from Australia. Uh, we piped in Mark Rogers from the UK, and uh, I want to thank a few of our members uh, once again because at the end of our day we had we had our meeting, and then at the end of the day uh, we had a happy hour get together. But before the happy hour, we had a little something that Mark Reith and I pulled together uh, that we called member appreciation a member appreciation gathering, and it was really an opportunity for us to just share. The whiskey that uh, was given to us by Jason Newman, Million Dollar Portfolio member uh, from New York, uh, Bill Rampton, who's a stock advisor member from Colorado, and his brother-in-law, Andy. I don't think Andy's is, uh, a member of any of our services, but he tagged along with Bill. Um, he's from Wyoming, and they oh, yeah, they brought guys. us three very, very wonderful bottles of whiskey, and and on behalf of everyone who attended the gathering, and I'm going to say it was somewhere in the order of maybe 50 or 60 people, everyone was very pleased. <laughs> did you pour one out for the dozens? No, we did not. We did not pour one out. We poured one in. Okay. Um, so, and by the way, all three really good. Hudson whiskey, 
uh, Stranahan's from Colorado, and uh, Wyoming whiskey. Hmm. All three just wonderful. If you're a whiskey aficionado at all, you got trip. You got to you got to <laughs> check these out. Uh, thanks for being here, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>